Have you heard about this videotape that kills you when you watch it? What a note say, Dan. Cat dead. Details later. See, the police are always off track with this shit. If they'd watch prom night, they'd save time. There's a formula to it. A very simple formula. Everybody's a suspect. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Horror Flicks and Guitar Picks podcast. I'm your host, Tim Trashmouse Mills, and this week, my guest is the one and only BJ McDonald, the director behind the brand new Foo Fighters horror comedy, Studio 666, as well as the director behind Hatchet 3, Slayer's Killogy, and much more. Now, before we get into this week's interview, I just want to let you guys know to go follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all updates on the podcast. Next month, in the month of April, I'll be hitting two years of doing the podcast, and I'm going to be dropping a bunch of bonus stuff, so be on the lookout for that. And also, if you're a Spotify or Apple user, don't forget to leave those ratings as they're highly appreciated and help the podcast get in front of more people. So, And if you haven't yet, I highly recommend going to see Studio 666 in theaters as I personally loved it and I think that most horror fans will as well. So now with all that being said, let's get into this week's interview. How's it going, Tim? Good. How about you? Good. You must have loved the new Scream movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, I, yeah. I, I, I need to check it out. I, lo- I love the other ones. Hell yeah. No, I really enjoyed it. It, it kind of... Uh, has the same thing going for it as Scream 4 where it did a good job of waiting 10 years. So it has like a lot to say about, you know, like horror right now and stuff like that. So yeah, that's cool. Hell yeah. Speaking of horror uh, right now, you know, you just dropped Studio 666, which is probably one of my favorites, you know, to come out this year. So, I mean, it's a short year so far, but I mean, it's just nice <laughs> to see a fun return to 80s horror and stuff like that. But um, yeah. that's a culmination of most of your career, at least as far as the director's chair goes, you know, you've done a ton yeah. of camera work and stuff like that. But um, with the director's chair, you know, you've always worked with, you know, the heavy side of music and then the horror stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, if you don't mind, before we dive into like your actual work with it, you know, where did it all start? What was your relationship with that stuff growing up? And, you know, did it evolve as you got older? Yeah, it's funny because like I grew up watching like, you know, like in the 80s, I was like, you know, HBO, you know, would, would always show like all these horror films. And I, you know, my parents never really gauged what I was watching. So I kind of grew up watching like, you know, Escape from New York when I was in kindergarten, you know, The Thing, you know, I watched just like all these like movies that would come out that usually like, I mean, a lot of things, I think a lot of parents would not let their kids watch. Yeah. Uh, I think it actually, it, it made me like, it, it kind of shaped me into what I w- wanted to do creatively. Mm. Um, my grandfather was an actor. Uh, so I knew that the possibilities of working in the film industry was real. You know, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people kind of like what I've talked to, they feel like it's an unattainable goal to actually get into the film business. So I at least had that kind of like, I, you know, my grandfather kind of showed me the way of like, you know, yes, you can make a career in Hollywood. You know, this is something you can really do. Yeah. Me and my buddies would actually make horror films and action films growing up with VHS cameras and, and just doing stupid, like, like make, you know, making ourselves laugh to entertain ourselves and, and just be creative. And I just grew up loving horror. That was it. Like, it just, it, for me, the horror movies are just more of a thrill ride. They're more exciting to watch, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I love all movies, don't get me wrong, you know, but I love the creativity. I love horror films to take you on a, on a story that just could be completely out there and completely bonkers. And yeah. <laughs> to this day, I love that, you know. 
Yeah, that's like uh, most Italians, you know, the subgenre of Italian horror, people say it's like, there's no plot. It's just, you know, whatever happens, happens type thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, and then uh, what about the music side of things? You know, like, you know, about what age did you start getting into like the heavier music and, uh, you know, like what bands kind of shaped that for you? I, you know, it's funny because I started listening to like heavy metal when I was like, again, like, I guess with the horror films and everything, I grew up in like, I grew up in Florida and I grew up in kind of a funky neighborhood. Yeah. So a lot of my friends, they were into like, you know, a lot of like heavy metal music and they were the ones that kind of would give me a tape and I'd listen to that tape. And it was like, so cool. We were, we would ride BM, our BMX bikes with Walkmans on, you know, like hitting jumps and, and doing all that, but heavy metal. And like, you know, that was kind of like the, it made me feel like I could, you know, ride like crazy. And like, it, it just had so much energy that like, I loved it. Headbangers Ball was a thing. I would watch all the videos from that. I would stay up on, you know, all the time and watch, you know, the three hours or whatever it was of, of all the videos. Yeah. And then I got into punk rock for a while, you know, and still, I still love punk rock. You know, when I was like in middle school and high school, kind of mixed metal with punk. Then I was in a punk band. So I toured with a punk band for six years. And then when that was okay. over, I went and decided, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do movies. Hell yeah. Real quick before we jump into, you know, your work and stuff with the movies, uh, do you have a favorite horror movie of all time or, you know, maybe a few that sit up there, you know, since there's obviously thousands and maybe even close to a million at this point? Oh, there's so many. Yeah. I mean, I love, it's hard. There's so many I love. But like when I always think of horror, the things that I, you know, really loved growing up, Nightmare on Elm Street was big time for me. Um, part one and part three. I love those ones. Uh, the Thing is an amazing film. You know, to this day, I can still watch that. It's. I think that might be my favorite of, of all horror films, even though people say it's a sci-fi movie. I'm like, no, nah, it's, a, it's a horror film, really. Yeah. Um, I love that movie. You know, you know, like Halloween, you know, Friday 13th, I like, you know, I think that's good. But I really, I really kind of went more towards like the Freddy Kruegers of things. You know, like I was oh, more yeah. into that world. I like that. The movie The Hidden. There's like, I mean, I like, those are the kind of movies that kind of shaped me. And of course, growing up, like with all the movies that came out, you end up loving Scream, you know, the Wes Craven movies, the Clyde Barker movies. I love Hellraiser. Um, I love Nightbreed. I love, oh, yeah. the, I love the makeup in Nightbreed. You know, those kind of films. I'm a huge Clyde Barker fan too. Oh yeah. Now that's one thing I like about, like you said, with, you know, Nightmare and even well, pretty much all of Wes Craven's movies. And then uh, same thing with, you know, Clyde Barker's movies. It's like, even if they don't say anything or have like lines, it's like the killers still have these personalities to where it's like, and you know, with Friday the 13th, it's fun and stuff. Like I love Friday the 13th movies. Don't get me wrong. Like I got married on Friday the 13th, but it's just, nice. uh, yeah, it's just, uh, but I'm with you. It's like it adds, you know, when they have personality and stuff like that, it just adds so much more depth because you're not just like, not only are you not like you might be rooting for you might stop rooting for the good guys and start rooting for the bad guys. But even if you are rooting for the good guys, at least when the bad guys come on screen, you're not just like, oh, shit, here they are again. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I kind of like too when like the bad guys talks, you yeah. know, it's like, sure. I mean, slashers are great, but it's like, OK, Michael Myers, he walks and you know, he always ends up catching people, you know, but it, and I love Halloween. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, and I love the kills. I love the kills on Friday the 13th. But I, I really like when Freddy kind of showed up on the scene, the fact that he would like actually say like funny things or like he was very witty and, and but he was a really bad guy. I love I, I really love that. You know, like they have personality. Yeah. Him and uh, Pinhead probably have the best one liners in horror. Candyman has a few good ones, too. But it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Pinhead is so cool. And I like the first the, I love the first Hellraiser. And I really love the second Hellraiser. I thought that went like that. That one was so awesome. It was so good, even though I think it was directed by somebody else. It wasn't Clyde, but, yeah. you know, it still was very cool in my books. And I loved like I just love the imagery. I love the I love the practical effects that they would do and all that. It was so it was so cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, Hellbound is probably uh, I'm, I, that's probably one of the few sequels I prefer to the original as well. So I'm right. There it's with really you. good. Oh, yeah. But uh, so, uh, you know, your first 
like I said earlier, you know, you had a lot of uh, time in the business, you know, doing camera work and stuff like that, you know, you know, behind the camera stuff, but you got your first job directing uh, on Hatchet 3. When you got into, you know, the movie business, was directing always your goal? And uh, also, like, how did it kind of lead to, you know, Hatchet 3? Yeah, I mean, I actually moved from Florida to, to LA to direct. That was my main goal. And, you know, my grandfather was an influence, but by the time I moved to LA, he was already passed away. So I was just trying to figure out how to get into the business and what to do. So I went to film school, graduated from there, and I was like, all right, what's next? And a buddy of mine got me in to, as a grip. Sorry, hmm. I started working as a, as a grip on, on film sets, which was great because it taught me like all the like, you know, etiquette of a, of a film set, like, and what people's jobs are and what they do. So I, I went from that route and then I got really interested in camera operating because I just, I was amazed by like what camera operators do and like, and, and, and just like being so involved with the film sets, with the directors, with the DPs, and also in the end result, what, what they shoot is what everybody sees, you know, what, yeah. when you go to a movie, that's the work that you are directly doing. So I got really into that. It kind of took me off the path of directing a little bit, but it actually taught me so much more. And I learned from the best and the worst. And, you know, like I, I got to take things from directors that I saw was so effective. I also learned like what techniques work, um, you know, also by learning how to tell story through camera, how to, you know, like with, with, with what's going to be the emotion of what the camera movement's going to be doing or what the lens sizes are and, and also like me, I'm directly talking with the actors. So I got into a very personable, you know, one-on-one -on -one with, with the actors on set. As a grip, I, you know, every now and then they, you know, we talk, but like as a camera guy, I'm always telling them kind of where they need to go, what they have to do. And we, and we chit chat. Yeah. So it gave me a little bit more comfort in that. And then, you know, I did, I did the first and the second hatchet as a camera operator. And then I just, you know, got into, I, I got to direct part three, you know, and, right. and, and that was that. And so it kind of like, it kind of reentered. It, it kind of got my spark going again and wanting to do what I came to Los Angeles to do. Oh yeah. That's awesome. Now I'm a huge fan of the uh, hatchet series. I actually have a Victor Crowley uh, NECA figure up there, but you just can't see it because it's out of frame or whatever. But uh, nice. when it came time to, you know, to uh, get in the director's chair, you know, for hatchet three, was that something that was, you know, semi-intimidating, you know, being the first one to direct a sequel, you know, that wasn't Adam green. And then also, you know, knowing that it's such a, you know, gore filled practical effect monster that it might be, you know, difficult to deal with. I think for me, it was not hard. It was intimidating the day of day one, because you're like, okay, I have to, you know, this is different for me. You know, I've directed short films before, so I, I already kind of knew like what I wanted to do. Yeah. But like, okay, like the first day was a little bit intimidating. But the good thing was the cast and, the, and, and a lot of the crew I knew. So it was like, it was a very comfortable position for me. I could already, I already had like a one-on-one -on -one with many of the actors, so I could actually talk to them freely and, yeah. and go that way. I just, you know, when I did that one, I didn't want like, I knew I had to kind of keep the same comedy that they were trying to go with uh, from the first and second ones. It's kind of like a, it's, it's very silly. Yeah. Um, and I, I intentionally, like, I really wanted to go darker with the, with the story. I wanted to make it more serious, you know, originally, like when I was talking about like how the, how the story should go. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I realized, okay, no, we got to keep it in the same vein. Cause that's what the fans are going to want to see. And then I just, I said, you know what, I'll, I'll just use my, you know, camera operating, you know, skills. I want to make this look more cinematic. So my whole thing was like, you know, it was easy to talk to the actors, but I wanted, I did change the look a bit. I think I made Victor Crowley a bit darker in this one. Mm. I think I made the, I think it was a bit more cinematic looking. Um, it wasn't so, you know, we, we, we shot 240 and we didn't, you know, we didn't shoot at 16 by nine or whatever, like the first one's 185. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just changed up the look of that a bit, but it wasn't it wasn't day one a little bit, but other than that, it was pretty comfortable, and I love the oh, yeah. practical effects because of 
the horror films I grew up on. Yeah, which I'm sure that the uh, the crew, like the cast alone, would be intimidating walking on first day. You know, Zach Galligan, Caroline Williams, Daniel Harris, working with all those horror legends and stuff. How was that? You know, just having them all around on set, you know, being a fan growing up and stuff. It's funny because, you know, like I was a huge fan of Zach's, you know, mm-hmm. growing up. He was kind of the, the guy I picked. I was like, you know, I wanted to reach out to him because I love I love Gremlins. Oh, yeah. Uh, Caroline Williams is awesome. You know, like it's funny because like Kane Hodder, like I was never a huge Kane Hodder fan, to tell you the truth. I just wasn't. I yeah. knew I met Kane as a stunt coordinator on Devil's Rejects. That's how mm-hmm. I knew Kane. I didn't. I, and I never put like I never put like two and two together. Like, oh, Kane was, you know, he, he was he was, you know, Jason Voorhees. Yeah in most of the movies like I didn't and it didn't really I didn't really care honestly yeah. so he to me was just it's Kane the stunt guy um you know and I had worked with Danielle on Halloween yeah with Rob Zombie before so I, I had already I had already like known you know these like actors since I got in there oh yeah it, it yeah. takes a lot to intimidate me no. honestly with actors because of other movies I've done it's yeah. very rare that I get shell or get starstruck or like go oh because I'm just used to talking to actors yeah now i wasn't sure if it was like if it changed the dynamic when it was time to be the one telling them what to do and stuff like that but no, that's awesome that uh i'm i didn't even think about that though the fact that you were you know working on you know behind the camera for so long i'm sure you met plenty of people you know like you said you've done so many other horror films with like the first few hatchets with a lot of the same cast and then all the uh a lot of the rob zombie movies if not all of them if i'm not mistaken but so pretty much throughout your career right before you know we'll get to uh last question before we jump into studio 666 is you know you got to direct slayer and exodus which exodus is one of my you know favorite bands of all time awesome. um, yeah. how was it you know getting to direct those music legends and stuff like that and uh on top of that you know like how is it different you know directing music videos to doing like feature films i'm sure linked is a is one thing but you know does uh you know because it's all about the song does that re- like really affect you know how you can storyboard and all that i always write the music videos to what's going on in the song lyrically for the most part i try to kind of follow a bit of a of what's happening like emotionally and like like uh lyric wise yeah uh, and also when I hear the song, I try to kind of keep the tone or the speed of what's going on because you don't want to, you know, you want to try to make that match up a bit. Yeah. The difference between music videos and features, there's features you're, you know, what people don't realize is you don't just step on a set direct and then you're done. Like you, like you, you pre-pro, you, you shoot that whole time and you're, you're almost a year, if not longer in editing, color correction, VFX, ADR, like people don't realize how long it really does take to make a feature film. Whereas a music video, you already have your song, you already have your basic dialogue, you know what I mean? Because you know, there's really no dialogue in those. Yeah. And you come up with a like one or two day shoot and you get the shots that you need and it's fast, you know, you go go through editing, you do a couple little edits and, until you're happy with it and then it's faster. You know, it it's just, that's the whole thing. And, and uh, you know, music videos nowadays don't really have big budgets. So you have to be really creative to make them work. You know, and honestly, the movies that I've done haven't had huge budgets either. And you have to be creative to make those work because your time schedule is, you know, very important to like yeah. making sure you make your days. So that's like the biggest difference to me. It's like it's time, it's money, it's uh, the amount of time you have to be invested in the things. Because I still, you know, I direct, but I'm also still a camera operator. I still like while I'm directing, sometimes I'll have to take off and remotely do things while I'm operating on another movie. You know, I enjoy yeah. both. I still do both. Oh, yeah. You know? So, yeah, that's that's kind of that's the biggest difference, I think, is just time, money. And having to really like immerse yourself into into being available. Yeah, and like you said, the crew shrinks too, so it's more for you to do and stuff like that. But um. yeah, music videos—it's really hard to get the crews because you're just like one, you know, like like the Exodus video I did. It, it was so it was so 
there was no money for that, but it was just yeah. a really great crew involved that we pulled in to do that one. And that uh, we just, you know, you keep it small. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, we can dive into Studio 666. If you don't mind, can we put a light spoiler alert out? So that way we can chat about it a little bit, but, you know, obviously not spoil the whole film, you know, stuff sure. like that. But yeah. just so that way we can mention some scenes, you know. So my first question, you know, uh, when this was, when you were approached with this and, it was, you know, you got the job for this, uh, what was your first, you know, thought going into it? Like, did you have like an immediate like click of like, I'm going to make this style of movie, you know, this and that, or were you just like, yeah. were you, was there any reserve of like, okay, let me first see, you know, if they have a solid, like if they have the complete idea, you know, sometimes producers will have an idea of what they want before you even, you know, get to make the film. So was that something that uh, like it immediately excited you and you had an idea, like, this is what I want to do. Or was there something, was there any reserve of like, let me wait and see, you know, if they already have it like uh story lined out themselves type thing. Well, we already, you know, Dave already had his story kind of like what he wanted to do with the movie. And then I kind of, I took his pitch and I kind of, you know, dove in more and added a bit more element to to what he wanted to do. Yeah. But I already knew like from what we had talked about once I got the job that what we were really trying to go for was basically, you know, one, we knew that we were doing a movie that was a band movie. And so it had to kind of feel and have like the ridiculousness of a band movie. I had to, had to have the fun of those old school band movies. Yeah. That was number one. Number two was, you know, the Foo Fighter videos from the past are silly and they're fun, you know, like the silly ones. So we wanted to give the Foo Fighter fans still that kind of like vibe of what was happening. Yeah. Um, three, we wanted to make sure that if we're going to do a horror film, we're going to make it a horror film or it's going to be gory. Like, and that was a huge thing that me and Dave talked about too, is that practical effects were very important and the blood and gore is very important because no one's really going to expect it. A lot of, you know, people that are just Foo Fighters fans may freak out because, we do such bloody, gory stuff, but the but you know the horror fans who may not be Foo Fighters fans are going to maybe become Foo Fighters fans and have a good time with it and really like see who's going on here. Yeah. So we really, you know, we really did kind of already have an idea of, of what we were trying to do when we came in. You know, we knew we were going for something that was funny and silly and and just like an all around good time, kind of like you know trying to make this more of like you know in the end we hope that this plays at parties and people are like you know it's like a cult film status kind of deal. You know that's what it was really intended to do was just be a band kind of cult film and oh, i yeah. think we, i think that we we accomplished that didn't we never thought it was going to go to theaters <laughs> yeah. we were just like, okay so it was kind of crazy that did that oh yeah no i know exactly what you mean i was uh the first time i watched it i watched it with a co-worker and he's not a horror fan uh but he likes the foo fighters so he watched it with me and from the opening scene i was kind of like i had this like thought in my head i was like is he okay with this because it's pretty fucking bloody <laughs> like but uh, <laughs> yeah you know, and yeah. I'm the type of person I watch, you know, like I just watched Cannibal Holocaust last night again. So it was like, you know, I watch oh, that shit good. regularly. So it's, uh, but, uh, so I uh, toned that scene down, by the way. Oh, really? Hell yeah. That opening scene was way nastier. I was about I, to say, is there ever, uh, do you think there is ever a chance of like a uncut version, you know, with like the more gore and stuff like that? I don't know if there's going to be an uncut version. I'm not sure. Like, I don't, I don't. I don't know if that's going to go through. I mean, the movie, honestly, is still it's a little long as it is, you know, and, and we knew that like when we were editing and, and uh, you know, there's but there was really no easy way to tell the whole story with cutting so much stuff out. I think we did cut a 90 minute version and it just felt like you're about to have a seizure when you watched it because it was just so like choppy chop that it was so hard to like follow. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the runtime we have, you know, it tells the story and, and, and I'm happy with it. You know, some people complain it's a little bit too long, but it's like, you know, whatever. And it's sorry i'm sorry if it, it was too long for you but you know hey when you do it when you're doing a movie you know you can only do so much to follow the script that you're given and to yeah. make sure the movie makes sense and that you're actually getting the tone that you want i feel like it was perfectly like a perfect runtime as well because I'm, I'm right there with you right about the time that you feel like it needs to start reaching the third act it really does and then uh yeah. 
And then even though I asked about the uncut version, it's plenty gory. I mean, it definitely doesn't need an uncut version. You know what I mean? So that's one thing I loved about the film was it was surprisingly gory. But then uh, I definitely, you know, kind of expected a little bit of humor, you know, like you said, with like the Learned of the Fly video and uh, Hero and stuff like that. Like those were hilarious videos. But when, you know, when you went in, did you, you know, like I've heard uh, a few of your interviews, you talk about how they're riffing and stuff like that. Is there any of that that might end up in like a blooper reel or anything just from like those guys, you know, connections throughout the years and stuff? There's definitely a blooper reel. Like, okay. I know there's definitely going to be a blooper reel. And I don't, like, I hope that it just comes out on the Blu-ray, like, when it, when it comes out, you know, I mean, who knows? But, there, I mean, we had so much funny material from the guys, like, and just some stuff that we're just like, we can't put that on there, you know? Yeah. It's just, so there is a good blooper reel of things. And and who, never, who knows? Maybe I will put, if I get the opportunity to put certain scenes that were cut out or the extended version of like the opening and like, you know, there's, there was some moments where we just held on some things a little too long, but it's always better to shoot more than you really need and be able to pull back than to not shoot what you really like just to shoot what you need. And you get an editing going, Oh crap. I wish I had more. Yeah. Uh, honestly, that Jenna Ortega scene was way more graphic. I mean, it was super gnarly. And oh, yeah. uh, I mean, to the point where I believe at the very end, the caretaker stomps her head. Like it was, <laughs> it was messed up. Hell yeah. That was actually my next question uh, about Jenna Ortega. You know, I didn't want to mention, uh, you know, there's some other cameos in the movie, which, uh, you know, Carrie King's, I believe, is in one of the trailers and stuff like that. But then there's another one, which I won't spoil because it's so awesome for horror fans, of course. But uh, with Jenna Ortega, was that something that, you know, because she's, you know, this is probably a lot of people are going to say this is her year for horror. Was that something that you kind of like knew that she had these releases lined up or did it just work out to be like, oh, damn, we happen to get 2022 Scream Queen in the the movie as our cameo? That's how it happened. Like me, like I, I remember like I remember saying, all right, the opening of this movie needs to be really kind of like dark and, and really serious. Mm. So, so we need to get an actual actress who's going to play this part for us to be that that character, you know, and we I wanted to open it up. Not, you know, not 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 silly at yeah. all. So uh, Wendy, our casting agent, sent us a bunch of auditions and me and my wife sat and was watched a bunch and went through a bunch. And there were some really good people in there. But we saw Jenna and we saw her her performance on on the show you yeah and it was very emotional and it's like as soon as i saw it's like we need to get her she's really great so we reached out and she was totally down to do it and she you know she came in and she did exactly what we wanted you know for the opening and and for later on um had i known i wish we could have had a bigger part for her you know and and and, uh i hope next time i get to work with her you know that like we'll we'll give her a bigger role yeah but she was so fantastic and she, i think she did a great job for what we were trying to accomplish in the beginning of the film and we were just lucky to have her in all honesty because after oh, yeah. that we were like oh man she's gonna be in scream and then oh man she's gonna be in wednesday the adam's family tim burton show it's like how cool is that you know yeah. like you know and, and so very very exciting that we had her we were lucky hell yeah no and i'm super excited for ty west's uh x just because i'm a huge fan of house of the devil so yeah i'm really looking forward to that but plus it's anything that's set in like the 70s 80s i'm immediately like oh i want to see it at least you know <laughs> like so yeah right but, totally hell yeah so and then uh throughout the film you also have some other references like uh you know and this is where some of the little bit of spoiler alert will come in more of it you know but of course we spoiled a little bit of jenna or ortega scenes but that was only because uh you know it's like the first 10 minutes of the movie but um yeah. So throughout the film, you know, you have a couple references, you know, to like famous horror films, you know, with uh, Carrie King's character being named Krug, you know, very much like uh, the bad guy in Last House on the Left. And, you know, like uh, what Wes Craven, you know, said his bully's name was and stuff. And then uh, I think what my favorite one is, is uh, the Hedge Clippers. That is very it's very the burning ish. But a lot of people can also say Friday 13th Part 6 as well, because Jason does something very similar in that. Do you have any other uh, references or anything in there that like nobody's seemed to have caught on yet that you're like? kind of like itching at and hoping that somebody sees soon 
I mean, we put a bunch of different just imagery in there just to, for like the horror fans. See, and you're right. It, I mean, that actually that the, the hedge clipper thing was it was, it's the burning 100. Oh, yeah. That's we that's what we were going for. Just the, you know that that shot. Yeah. Um, there, you know, when 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 Will Forte is coming up the this the, to the house for the first time, it's it's we just we're like we framed it like The Exorcist. When Dave comes out of the water in the pool, uh, that's a, kind of a nod to to Friday the 13th. Oh, uh, uh, you know, you you actually there's in the in the basement you do see the Foo Fighters Ray Gun from their album. Um, it's kind of mixed into all the stuff, so you see that the shadow people that are in the movie are are a throwback to the fog. Fuck yeah! Um, it, you know, it, I mean, there's a lot of different little references in there that we did. The, even like whenever the at the very end of the pool scene, when you see the slimy stuff, that actually is the same material they used when they did the remake of the Blob. Oh hell yeah, that's awesome! <laughs> so we pulled that in. We even kept it the same color. It's like that weird purpley kind of like. Yeah, cream purpley kind of weird color. It's the same. It's the same exact material. So it, I mean, there was a lot of like, hey, if you notice this, you notice that. It's kind of the way to go. The yeah. scene with Rami and and Whitney, that was our our kind of like like nod to Nightmare on Elm Street one with Johnny Depp. Yeah, hell yeah. No, that's uh one of my favorite uh, scenes in the movie. Just uh, I won't say any <laughs> I won't say anything other than Chainsaw. It's just it's amazing. So. Yeah. It got but, gnarly. Uh, hell yeah. No, that's my favorite. That's probably my favorite, like part. Of, that's not my favorite part of the movie. My favorite part is actually when uh, he's eating and he's like, it's juicy and shit starts falling out of his mouth. But uh, <laughs> yeah. that's probably my favorite, you know, like that scene of the movie. When it came to uh, filming the movie, was there any like uh, kills that you had planned out or anything like that, that, that you had to kind of like nix going in just because of, you know, like time or that like, uh, you know, maybe that you swapped out for a better idea? So there, the Taylor kill that we did w- was way more... Uh, it was way more involved actually. And the fact that we like realized how much time we had and, and how hard it would be to actually get accomplish what we were going to do. It was like, it was like, I believe that Dave grabbed Taylor and originals in the script and he stabbed him against the wall and crucified him with drumsticks to the wall. And then he actually, there's a painting above the fireplace yeah. that had barbed wire on it. Dave was going to walk over and pull the barbed wire off and almost and put it around his head, almost like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, and, and then, and then it was, and then we eventually ended the same way, but time would have had it where we just doing all that and trying to get the, this in this hand and this hand and, the, and this, and then all, you know, it just, we didn't have enough time to actually get all that involved because we only had a couple hours to shoot that whole scene. You know, that yeah. wasn't something we took days over. We didn't have a long schedule to shoot this movie. So mm-hmm. we had to just kind of like go, okay, so, how much time do we have? What are we going to do? All right, this will, and I think it's more effective the way we did it because it was more of a surprise because it, it, it would have drug a little too long had we done that to Taylor and, and put it in that and put him in that kind of like situation. And he would have been stuck to a wall for like half a day. Yeah. You know, you don't want, you know, guys that aren't like actors all the time don't want to be, you know, stuck standing up at a wall. Like, you know, we, we had him there long enough for yeah. what we had to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which I kind of brings me to my next question with the title like Studio 666. Was there any worry about like backlash of like, you know, just like, you know, Christian companies and, you know, people that just come out again, you know, like I went to a concert one year and people were just outside protesting the band Lamb of God just because of their name. Was there any like worry about uh, backlash and stuff like that? And, you know, was seen, you know, was something like that, you know, in the script was, you know, was that any reason that it kind of came out as well? I think you know, anytime you do something like very religious people can get very upset about just a name or an image or things like that. Even with the Slayer videos, there's a whole YouTube video showing my friend Jason Tross, who has the eye patch, who's in the Slayer videos. And they start saying stuff like, oh, well, you know, look at the eye patches going over his left eye. It's the same thing as David Bowie having the lightning bolt over his eye. Uh, That's like a sign of like devil worship. When, When really it boils down to if you guys really did your work and, and homework, instead of looking at that and you saw this actor who actually has a real 
handicap. You know, he's yeah. and he, and Jason. I'm not saying is a handicap, but he's missing an eye. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, there's and and, and honestly, I think it makes him cooler. Oh, <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, you never know what you're going to run to. People, look, people take offense to things over nothing. It, yeah. it doesn't matter it had it be religious or whatever it is. I think sometimes people just don't like certain things. I mean, look, people love this movie. People hate this movie. You know, you can't win either either way. You know, you just hope that you did something cool and people love what you did and enjoy it further on down the road. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm not a very religious person. I mean, we didn't really consider the 666. We didn't really talk about like worry of like any kind of like backlash for that because People are going to get offended no matter what it is you do. Yeah, I'm 100% on the same page as you. But, and that's my thing is like, I'm not a, like, I'm personally, to be honest with you, I'm not a believer at all. Like, I'm 100% atheist, like nothing, you know. But I grew up and still live in uh, North Carolina. So, you know, it's very Bible beltish. Oh, yeah. And I work I work at a theater. So that was like a thought of mine. I was like, I wonder how people are going to react to, you know, 666 being plastered on our like movie posters. But, you know, <laughs> nobody said anything. They're just old people moseying on in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it just, it is what it is. And it's like, if yeah. you take offense to it, we're, we're sorry. You know, that's the way it goes. But, you know, it's just it's a movie. It's fun. It's make believe. I mean, if you if you get too offended by certain things, like just by someone saying six, 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 then I think you got more problems than anything else. I mean, I don't I don't it's not a I don't I don't really feel like, you know, it's really an issue in my in my point. I grew up in the South. I also I grew up in Pensacola, Florida, and that's like it was crazy religious where I grew up. Yeah. I get it. Oh yeah. That's one thing is I'm happy that it's, you know, hasn't had any backlash. I was just always wondering if that was something that like pops in your head when you're thinking of stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like if it uh, might kind of hinder, you know, like always have that little bit of like a, in the back of your mind, like, ah, should I have named it something else? You know what I mean? I find religion very interesting. I find it as a great topic for, for films. That's why I really like all the, the conjuring movies and the James Wan kind of like that whole universe, because there is always some kind of element of heaven and hell and demon possession and things like that. I think it's very, I think it, it makes ground for great storytelling. Yeah. Um, And I think I, you know, I I grew up and I went to a Christian school and I'm not really, you know, I'm not big religious person, but you know, the stories and the things that I grew up reading actually like I can relate to like what they're trying to say in these movies because I did go to a Lutheran school from kindergarten to eighth grade. Yeah. Um, and I, I do find it fascinating and it does make for great content. You know, I think I, I do enjoy it for that. Even for like Raiders of the Lost Ark, all the stuff that's all the religious base on that. I think it's a really, it's really interesting stories. Hell yeah. Now I, uh, I really enjoy the movie Passion of the Christ. To be honest with you, I just, you know, because yeah. I mean, it's like a good story, you know what I mean? And it's still like heartfelt whether you believe in it or not. So, but yeah, no, exactly what you mean. So uh, at the end of the show, I like to usually ask some hypothetical questions, you know, that kind of mix the mov- uh, music and movies and stuff like that. And then, you know, just, you know, have to do with your career and stuff like that. Uh, you got to work with, you know, bands like, you know, Slayer, Exodus, and, you know, now the Foo Fighters with uh, Studio 666. If you got to return and do another, you know, band film, whether it be a horror or a comedy or, you know, even just like an action film, uh, what band would you choose to work with? And, you know, what kind of film would you like to do with them? Hmm. I, I didn't expect that question. I mean, I always would love to work with Anthrax because I was like yes. an Anthrax fan growing up and I, I, I really enjoy their music. I mean, they were very influential for me as a kid growing up. I loved all the old, I'd stay euphoria. I love. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like I really enjoy like, like ghost has a really neat persona about them, but it would be hard to do a movie with them because you can't like, I don't think the nameless schools could ever really talk. It'd yeah. be weird. If you made them talk. Gosh, like a band, honestly, like, Lamb of God would be rad. I mean, there's so many bands that would be a lot of fun to work with, I think, you know, 
even Slipknot would be kind of rad to work with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I really take any metal band that's wanting to do something different and experimental or like have fun or make something very interesting. I'm always for it. You know, that's why I like doing heavy metal videos because I can be creative and really we can tell stories and go like with a storyline. I always yeah. try to keep my, my music videos as a storyline. I just did a, a video with Steve Vai recently. Hell yeah. And that was, and it was awesome because it's, it's like, it's the, it's, I didn't do a storyline with him. It's just imagery of him playing this guitar. And you didn't need a storyline because he was so, it, it's so impressive to watch this guitar playing that he does. Yeah. Uh, it's this guitar called the Hydra. It's a three neck guitar and he's playing the whole song like bass, rhythm, lead. There's like a harp on it and he's doing it. The whole song is right there on the guitar. So it was, it's more focused on what he's playing and what he's doing in that video and how, and, and how, you know, how impressive that is. So that was, I didn't do a storyline for that, but anything I can do again, storyline wise, I think metal and, you know, punk rock videos and things like that are, are very creative, a good outlet for it. Oh yeah. That's awesome. And uh, I also heard that, uh, you know, Steve Vai, if I'm not mistaken, it was his hands that played in studio 66, right? It is. Oh, yeah. 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 He's, he's stunt, stunt guitar is his <laughs> title as Steve Vai. Yeah. We, I mean, Dave was like, he goes, you know, there's supposed to be this part of the story where I'm like a super shredder. So he goes, what do you think if we just talk, like, should we call Steve Vai? I'm like, yeah, we should call Steve Vai. <laughs> sure enough, we called him up and he, he lived right down the street. So he came walking up, brought his, brought his pedals with him plugged in, used Dave's guitar and we, we painted Steve's hands with, with, uh, like with Dave's tattoos to match. Yeah. Um, and when you do the close-ups, whenever Dave's rocking out, that's Steve Vai. Oh yeah. That's awesome. Now that's one of those things that, uh, like, uh, when it comes to working on like a regular, you know, not, I mean, all this is a regular film, you know what I mean? But like when it comes to working on, uh, you know, a different film where it's like, you know, not band guys and stuff like that, you know, it's probably harder for to get an actor to call in a favor because everybody's contracted, you know, they don't just want to be on another movie. But when you got a, a musician and it's like, oh, I have all these friends who've never gotten to do a movie. It's probably yeah. easier to get a little favor called. And you know what I mean? Because it's like, oh, this is my chance to be in a horror movie. So that's kind of oh, yeah. another funny thing with Steve is that we had uh, there's a pool sequence in our movie and above the pool is this tree and we had a bee's nest up there. And lo and behold, Steve Vide is a beekeeper. So we needed, so Steve, after we did that, he came like twice to the property to, to take our bees. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now, uh, and there's like a struggle with bees, if I'm not mistaken, like they're like a rare thing to keep right now or get transported and stuff. So he was probably happy to get them from you guys. I'm sure. I'm sure, man. Yeah. yeah. Now my uh, mother-in-law's beekeeper and stuff. So she's like always talking about it. I kind of listen, but you know, but uh, oh yeah. So uh, my next question is, you know, kind of a very similar one, you know, you got to direct uh, hatchet three, you know, and, uh, Victor Crowley, who a lot of people will put up in, you know, the names with, you know, uh, you know, when they're just talking about killers and stuff, you know, his name will get thrown in with like Pinhead and Freddie and, you know, Michael and stuff. Uh, if you got to go back and, you know, pull a Rob Zombie, you know, like how he did with Hall Halloween, you know, is there one uh, famous movie monster? And, you know, you could pick anybody from, you know, universal monsters to, you know, one offs like the trickster and brain scan. You know, is there any uh, horror movie, you know, monsters or icons that you'd like to make a film out of? Wow, that's crazy. Uh, icons. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I would love to do a crack at Nightmare on Elm Street. Fuck yeah. you know, honestly, I would. I, that would be like that would be a bucket list thing for me to do is is to do like a, a Freddy you know version, like just because I grew up loving him mm -hmm. and loving the character and loving those movies. Nightmare on Elm Street would be a big one for me. I would. I would also love to do Escape from New York. You know, and that's not a horror film, really. It's just post-apocalyptic kind of like you know in in that in a weird world there. I would. I would love to do that. I mean, it's not really a horror film, but those like. I, I tend to love action films too. So, you know, so I always try to try to go for more of like the horror action kind of stuff, I think. Yeah. Um, and that would, that would be awesome to do something like that. I mean, 
because people have done Hellraiser so many times, you know, and, and like you kind of go, all right, well, you know, that's I, I love that that whole character, you know, and the whole and all the Cenobites. Yeah. Michael Myers has been done so much now. You know, what are you going to do? Friday 13th would be fun, you know, but that seems like that's a nightmare of of legality battles and, and trying to get that going. Yeah. Plus, you got all these fan films nowadays. So that's kind of a flooded market for all the people that have just been watching those for the past five years. I honestly would when I, when they did the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, which I actually worked a little bit on, mm. um, I wanted so bad to be the director of that. Oh, I yeah. mean, honestly, I think I think when it boils down to it, I would love to do a Nightmare on Elm Street. Hell yeah! Do you have a Freddy in mind, or is it kind of like you would try for Robert England, and then if that didn't work, Robert England would be awesome. You know, yeah. I mean, and like it's it's kind of like the Star Wars thing. If you if you go back to bringing in like you know the the actual like physical puppetry and creatures. Mm. you're gonna win you know it's i think that's always a win-win situation for people that are nostalgic you know if yeah. you go all cgi characters it becomes too like all right well now it's kind of unbelievable i want my video controller i want to play this video game yeah and it's same thing if you brought back robert england he's the original freddy so it, may, it would be pretty amazing to have him and but yeah. i'm not opposed to like having somebody else play freddy krueger you know what i mean because there's plenty of great actors out there now that can totally pull it off yeah. Now I saw somebody the other day tweet out that they would like to see Walter Goggins play Freddy Krueger. And I was like, that's actually a really good idea. I feel like he's yeah, right. He's that right amount of crazy, you know, like when he wants to turn it on and shit. So, yeah, but, totally. So uh, um, and I didn't I meant to ask this question before I jumped into the hypotheticals. But uh, I saw that uh, you were a camera, op- you know, or you did some of the uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's called mini cam or either way, you did some camera work on uh, the upcoming Salem's lot. Oh, you yeah. Know? I was a, Yeah. I was the a camera steady operator on that. Oh yeah. Can, uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Obviously you can't spoil anything, uh, you know, of course, but can you just tell me like, you know, what kind of tone that seems like they're going for and stuff and like what to expect? I think what we shot was really awesome. I can't talk, I can't go into too much detail yeah. uh, about it just because of the NDAs and everything. Oh yeah. Uh, that is very cool. And the imagery is amazing. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I, I think Gary did a, a, a fantastic job of what he's wanting to do with it. I think the imagery is great. The Barlow is great. You know, oh, yeah. I, I'm a, uh, I can't wait for people to see it. You know, I think we did a really cool take on Salem's. Hell yeah. That's awesome. No, I'm super excited for that one. And I figured you couldn't say much, but you know, got to squeeze out what I can. So. Yeah. Right. But, <laughs> hell yeah. Got to follow the rules. Yeah. So uh, my one final question for you is, uh, and this is a question I, I like to ask, uh, you know, all my guests and stuff like that is, do you have any horror stories of your own? And, you know, it could be from, you know, your years of time, you know, behind the camera, you know, working in film, or it could be, you know, just from your personal life, you know, from when you were younger. And if you have any, uh, like, it could be a story that's just scary as shit, or if you have any paranormal stories, you're more than welcome to share those as well. Oh, man, let me think. I, there is, yeah, when you, when you said horror stories from a film set, I was like, oh, I could tell you plenty of those. It's <laughs> <laughs> usually when things go wrong, or you work with the wrong people. Yeah, uh, th- those are horror stories right there. I, uh, you know, growing up, I grew up in Pensacola, Florida, and there I lived on a bayou. And I'll try to make this a short, quick, quick short story. But I found this. Me and my buddy Jesse found this this like wooden boat, and it was full of shotgun holes. And but we were at, as kids, you know, we were like, this is cool. We could patch it up and have our own boat. So we bring this boat back to my dock, and we tie it off, and the thing sinks instantly. And we're like, okay, that's so that's a bummer. Yeah. That night when I'm on the phone talking to my buddies and this is like when when you have the freaking phone with the cord and everything, I'm in my room talking to my friends, you know, middle school. And I'm not kidding. I hear this horrific laugh come out of my closet. And it was so scary. Like, like I instantly dropped the phone and ran and started yelling for my mom and dad to come in there. And they came running in. They started taking everything out of the closet. Everything was like, you know, pulling stuff out. Nothing was in there. Next day, I, you know, okay, I go to sleep. I sleep with my mom and dad and like all like little kids scared. Next day we go down to check on the boat. The boat's totally gone. 
It's so weird. So cut to about a couple of weeks later, my mom and dad leave and I'm at home alone. And I'm actually talking to my buddy on the phone at the house. I'm all by myself. And the doorbell of my house starts to ring. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go see maybe a friend's over here. And I, I go and the doorbell rings again before I get the door. I'm like, okay, I'm coming, I'm coming. I get to the, the, the door and I jump up to look out the little window. It's in the door and no one's there, but the doorbell keeps ringing and it keeps ringing. And all of a sudden I'm like, what is going on? And then you know how, how doors would sometimes you have the little glass uh, door that opens up before your front door. Yeah. You know, it opens and then it shuts. The doorbell's going off. It opens and it shuts. I run, I get in the middle of my house and then every window in my house starts, it starts pounding. Totally freaking me out. I'm getting chills thinking of telling the story. Yeah. I call my mom and dad like on the phone and I'm like, I'm freaking out. They can hear the noise. They're like, Oh, your dad's on there's on his way there. And I'm sitting there the whole time, the whole house and all the windows are, are just going, going, going. And it's like, you know, at this point, I'm like, this is so freaky, but are these actually neighborhood kids like trying to scare me? Yeah. I know a bunch of metalhead dudes, but I didn't see anybody. And my dad comes flying in the front yard in the car. And as soon as he gets in the front yard, everything stops. And then from then on, I couldn't tell you what happened, but that was the weirdest. Yeah. That's probably one of the scariest, weirdest things that ever happened to me as a kid. I, I probably chalk it up to a bunch of neighborhood kids freaking me out. But yeah. if, but they really did, like when the door opened by itself, I'm like, I don't even know how that happened. Maybe yeah. that was the wind. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean it's like you feel like if there's a bunch of kids you at least see one like as they're running away or something you know yeah. catch a glimpse of them but that's yeah. nuts. it was weird yeah shit I would have shit myself for sure <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah well I appreciate you uh for coming on the show and for sharing everything with me man you want to let everybody uh is there anything you want to promote or you know of course you know studio 666 but is there anything else you want to let people know about before uh, I let you go I just want to, you know, people go see Studio 666 if you can in the theaters. If you feel safe about going out with the pandemic and COVID and all that stuff going on, you feel safe, go support small horror films. You know, like we appreciate people going to the theaters to do that. We're not uncharted. We're not the big movies. We don't have the studio back in that's crazy, that's flooding you with it. Um, so we do appreciate the people that do go to the theater to sit through and go enjoy a fun, you know, throwback band movie. You know, and if not, okay. when it comes to video, I hope you enjoy it. Put on, have a party and, 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 and rock out. Oh, yeah. Now, and as uh, somebody that works at the movie theater, I've said this before on the podcast, if you don't go see horror movies at your local theater, they might not book horror movies because they book yeah. based on what people come to see. So if, you know, like uh, there was a couple months where the only horror movies we had was uh, Unholy and Separation. And like yeah. those were two very like uh, they just weren't blockbuster movies last year. So they kind of like slowed down what our movie theater thought about horror. And luckily, yeah. Halloween Kills came through and just killed it and like brought back that. So like we're. We don't have to worry about it as booking, but there was a chance for, you know, for a while that, we, you know, we weren't going to get horror, like big, you know, the little horror movies, just the big ones, you know what I mean? So I was happy yeah. to see us, uh, you know, that those big horror movies change people, like some theaters minds and, you know, now Studio 666 is, you know, running through and doing good jobs. So, hell yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I'm glad that people actually did come out to come see it. You know, we're, yeah. we're not Halloween kills. We're not hereditary. We're not these, you know, those kind of movies. We're, we're, we're a very small film. Oh, yeah. Hey, but not knocking those movies, but I enjoy yours more than theirs. So. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. We, we, we put a lot, me and as well as the cast and crew put a lot of work into doing what we wanted to do with it. Oh yeah, man. It rules. And I definitely can't wait to pick up the Blu-ray. I appreciate you for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And I really had a good time. Of course, man. Have a good one. You too. And as usual, I just want to say thanks again for listening and make sure you check back next week as my guest is going to be the one and only Bobby Blood, who is the drummer for the band Downset, writer and director of the upcoming horror film Hell Nurse, and he's also the co-host of the 85 Grave podcast. So make sure you check back next week for that. Go follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all updates on the podcast. Thank you again for listening and stay safe.